Okay, welcome. This is New Frontiers in Recovery. It's about you know, integrating plant-based, and that means psychedelics and marijuana, into recovery. So disclaimer, we're talking about psychedelics and marijuana in this meeting. We're also talking about trauma. If those things might distress you, you there is another meeting going on. I trust that you might have read the blurb by now. You know, And this is just a panel discussion. ICSA and Secular AA do not endorse this. This is just something I'm obsessed with and wanted to talk about. And um, and my co-host, Michelle, we just wanted to start a conversation about this. And uh, so just as a brief introduction, this is a speaker meeting, so I will be very brief. Um, you know, psychedelics were being studied in the 50s and 60s. Many of them were made illegal, classified as Schedule One in, in the 70s. So research had to stop. In 1956 and 1957, our co-founder, the AA's co-founder, Bill Wilson, partook in psychedelic therapy and um, had a positive view of it um, and was very enthusiastic about it. In 1985, I believe, MDMA was scheduled um, or made Schedule 1. So the uh, research for that had to go underground. I'm going to list some resources in the chat later. Um, someone before the meeting mentioned the Netflix documentary, How to Change Your Mind. I do, if you are curious about this topic, I definitely recommend that. And the book that it is based on by Jeff, uh, by Michael Pollan. And um, there's just endless stuff you can look into. There's many articles, lots of research being done right now. Things, articles that have been published the last or you know few weeks about things that have been happening in this in the psychedelic world. And um, so we have four speakers today. One will speak on the integration of psychedelics um, in treatment for trauma. And um, a few of our speakers will talk about um, being in recovery from substance use disorder and integrating psychedelics as well as cannabis into their recovery. So again, if this is something that might be distressing to you, you know, you can go to another meeting or... <laughs> take a nap or whatever, but this, we are going to be talking about drugs. Um, okay. So the meeting, you know, we have only a set amount of time, so I'm going to time the speakers. You'll have about 15 minutes, but if you go over, that's okay. I'm, I'm not going to be super rigid about that. Maybe 18 minutes would be the goal. Um, and after all the speakers have gone, we're going to have a bit of a discussion. So if you have a question, uh, text that to, or sorry, chat to Michelle, the co-host, my co-host, and she's going to gather the questions. Um, and hopefully we have time for all of them. Okay, so I'm going to start off. <laughs> I'm going to have my friend Sheila be our first speaker. Um, she is going to um, explain her story about integrating psychedelics into her life, and I'm not going to speak for her. So I'm going to just hand it right over. So welcome, Sheila. Mute. Thank you, Bridget. Hello, everybody. I'm glad to be here. Um, I'm going to talk about MDMA, which is my medicine of choice, which is the medicine I consider um, having saved my life. And so I'm going to share very personally about how this medicine worked for me and my own experiences with trauma. Um, about 10 years ago, I feel my life was on, on the verge of falling apart. I was a mess. I was 
very lost. Um, I'm not somebody that has dealt with addiction, but I was a, a habitual drinker. And I felt like I was really just in a, in a terrible place. A lot of thing, pieces of my life were not coming together. And I was just, I guess I, to the point I'd hit rock bottom. I'm also somebody that has been deathly afraid of using drugs because I have a lot of hypervigilance and the idea of like losing control really scared me. So alcohol was always my, my um, thing of choice. And so the idea of taking a substance like MDMA was really, really terrifying to me. It just felt like I'm going to lose control of my body and my mind, and this is going to be dangerous. But I had a friend who had just started using uh, MDMA as a therapeutic tool under the guidance of a facilitator. This was all underground work because it's not above ground yet. And he kept talking about it and he kept talking about it so much that it was actually annoying. And I was like, I don't want to be friends with this person anymore. He's harping on about this drug that I'm not interested in. But he kept saying that it really put him in touch with um, himself and how much it's helped his life. And he's been freed of a lot of issues. So he, he went on about it so much that I thought, you know what? I have tried every therapeutic modality out there to try and get to the bottom of my pain and nothing has helped me. And by therapeutic modalities, I've tried all your cognitive behavior therapy, um, ev everything in the book, being hypnotized, um, you know, meditation, all everything, and nothing got there. So I was so I was so desperate at this point that um, I was like, you know what? What do I have to lose? I'm going to try this. So I call up the facilitator and make an appointment. And I'm terrified and I decide to bring my friend because the facilitator is a, is a man. And I'm just the idea of like me as a vulnerable woman going into this random person's house, taking a medicine. It made me feel too vulnerable. So I brought my friend. I went there at 11 o'clock in the morning. I lay on the couch. I'm giving I'm given eye shades. I'm giving a hundred given 125 milligrams of pure MDMA. I take the medicine. And. I feel all of these kind of warm waves coming through a little bit of like heart palpitations. And at some point I got very, very scared. And I said, I can't, this, I feel, I'm feeling a lot of fear. I can't do this. And he said, Sheila, take a couple of breaths. And I took a couple of breaths and all of a sudden I went from the state of absolute panic and fear above in, into what I consider like almost like a, like a, like a plane taking off. You go through the turbulence and all of a sudden you're above the clouds and you're smooth sailing. And it was the most beautiful landscape and place I've ever been in. And I was in this place and I had this, I know this sounds weird. I had this message and the message was like, hello, Sheila, we finally meet. And the voice said, there's something that I need to show you. And what the, what the voice showed me, and this was my own voice. This was what I, what I consider me meeting myself for the first time in my life. And the voice took me to an incident when I was four years old. I was on vacation with my family. I was left uh, in the care of my uh, father's good friend, who I considered my uncle. My brother and I were left in his care. And somehow something happened. I didn't get the full story that that this man erupted and was physically violent towards me and was enjoying the violence. It was like a sadistic situation. 
And I remember in the session, I said, oh my God, this is what I've been looking for. This is what I've been looking for. This is at the heart of all of my pain, my hypervigilance, my social anxiety, my never feeling like I'm okay in my own skin, my my being uncomfortable around my fellow humans, not being able to connect, connect in the way that I wanted to connect. And I replayed this trauma over and over and over again. And I kept wanting to move away from it because it was so dark. And I kept saying, me, my authentic self in the session kept saying, no, Sheila, come back. You have to keep looking at this. You have to keep looking at this. This is the root of everything. So about for five hours, I am replaying and re almost experiencing, but in a very safe context, this trauma. Now, the beauty of MDMA is that it shuts down the amygdala, which is the fear part of our brain. So we're able to access things that no a normal kind of waking life we're not able to access because we're too protected. The brain is protecting us from this information. So, but so when the amygdala is quieted down, you don't have fear of the information or of the trauma. So you're able to look at it in a really safe space. A friend of mine likens it to looking at a shark, but the shark is in a tank. So you can look at this kind of scary creature, but be completely safe. So I replayed this over and over again. And I remember as I started to come out, I looked at my facilitator. I said, I'm not religious, but thank God I found this work because I have been searching my whole life to get to the bottom of what is going on with me. And this is the situation that happened to me that I completely forgot. And I was fascinated that how I could have lived so many years of my life without remembering what had happened. And I know with trauma, we do this. We we store it, the, the brain, you know, does not give you access to it. It's stored in the body. So, yeah, so it, we, re we react to it in all sorts of ways. We have the PTSD symptoms, but we don't often know what it is, what is lying beneath this. So I came out of the session and I sat with my facilitator and I was almost like weepy because I just thought, I just kept saying, thank you, thank you, thank you for doing this work, for taking the risk to present this medicine to people that have been looking their whole lives that are like have reached rock bottom that don't know, you know, they're walking around like a headless chicken thinking, you know, that everything's fine, but why are they act, you know, why are they not living full whole lives? Why are they reacting to something, you know, someone kind of shocks them and there it's you know or scares them just comes around the corner and reacts like this and now i really understood so since that day i've done about 10 mdma sessions since um it changed my life in a way that i realized i've been i've been living my life so protecting this trauma so afraid of things that all of my choices had been made in responding to my wound so it had not there might my, my a lot of my life choices had not been from a whole place. They had just been very trauma based, like, let me just put myself in the safest, most comfortable situation possible because I'm so fearful, as opposed to, wait, does this situation work for me? Does this situation make me happy? Is this a good person to be paired with? So when you're making decisions from wounds and you're making decisions from trauma and all of a sudden you see the trauma, the whole landscape changed. And I went through what I would consider the most difficult period of my life because sometimes with these medicines, things get harder before they get better because they force you to really reckon with um, how you've been living. And so I was in a marriage and my second session was very much about that I had to leave my marriage um, because this was not the right relationship for me. This person was dishonest. And when I emerged from that second session, it was so painful having to kind of just look at look around me and see that 
this trauma shaped my entire life and I've reacted to it for, I'm now 45. This was 10 years. So from my mid thirties, you know, mid thirties through, through my childhood. Um, and now I'm a huge advocate for therapeutic MDMA. Thankfully, there are a lot of people working in the underground offering this work. Um, earlier in the conversation before um, we all, you know, we were just having a chit chat before everyone got on, there was talks about the trials that are happening. And there's a group called MAPS that are leading these trials, really fighting to get F um, FDA approval for therapeutic MDMA. So it's accessible to those, you know, under the guidance of a therapist. Um, so we can really access these traumas that a, a lot of times are buried. I mean, this is my key point here is that, you know, so many of us, I think, are go going out in the world thinking, you know, oh, we had, you know, our childhood, we know what happened, but but a lot of times we don't, you know, there's some some dark things under there that sometimes we don't have access to because our brain at, at such a young age protects us from it. And so we're making all these decisions from extreme pain and suffering and trauma. And this medicine will give give us access to it. And I've been with friends who have done it. So I've watched other people under MDMA and, you know, them too being like, thank, you know, I'm not religious, <laughs> but thank God, because I would never have been able to access this material. Otherwise, the thing is like the brain is so strong and we are so protective of our trauma that even hypnosis, even the best sort of EMDR therapy sometimes cannot get to the bottom of, of, um, of the you know deepest and darkest trauma. And so it's now been 10 years. I'm a serious advocate for MDMA therapy. I feel like I'm making decisions um, from a whole place. It's not that life is, is easy because life isn't easy for nobody, but, um, but at least I'm living in an authentic way. And I think the gift of MDMA is that it gave me access to my inner healer. And I think like our society is so much based on looking to other people for advice and answers. And even religion is so much about, okay, it's that God out there um, where these th psychedelics really uh, help you realize that the divine or source or your healer or God, whatever you want to call it is within that you have this power, you know, what is best for you. And these medicines give you access to it. And just being able to have that access, which is I now have, thanks to that first session, you know, I'm able to trust my intuition. I'm able to trust myself. I'm able to go out into the world and suss out situations and think, hmm, is this right for me? How does it feel in my body? As opposed to being so numbed, so protected, so afraid the whole time that I could not make decisions that were right for me. Um, and one of the the Michael Pollan uh, series on Netflix is devoted to MDMA, which, um, you know, these are very extreme cases. They're talking about people that have been, you know, um, sleeping in their beds, have been raped at night, like horrific stories or or veterans coming back and seeing their friends blown up next to them and having this tool, having MDMA and being able to, to access those memories, being able to process and coming out and not being so fearful. Like most, I'd say... I can't tell you the exact number, but I think it's like 83% of those who qualified, um, you know, as, as serious, having serious trauma and PTSD, I think were after three MDMA sessions were no longer, um, no longer qualified uh, as, as having uh, PTSD. So that is incredibly successful. And a lot of the practitioners out there who are still working underground, they are such good people because they're doing this because they themselves had been searching for the bottom of their own pain, found access to it with MDMA and other psychedelics. I mean, psilocybin, LSD, 
um, ayahuasca, all of these are all tools that help us access our inner healer, that access traumas. Um, there are a lot of people out there working and so many of them have such, such good hearts uh, wanting to bring this medicine to as many people as possible. And, but I'm just hoping, I mean, all of us are just hoping that this gets, that this gets legalized soon. Um, and so I worked with, I have no idea of my time, but I've been working with MDMA for about 10 years. And just last year, I did my first psilocybin session. Um, I was very scared to do psilocybin because that's much less predictable as a medicine. It doesn't necessarily hold you in the same safe space that MDMA holds you in. Um, but I felt because I trusted, I trust myself. Um, I, I then, um, you know, I had the access to my own inner healer. I realized psilocybin would be a good journey. And that really helped me move out of my biography and kind of in more into the universe and really feeling that kind of universal oneness and, and kind of um, camaraderie with my fellow humans and animals and wanting to take better care of the planet as like as, as the, the great mushroom um, does. So that is my story in a nutshell. Um, thank you all for listening. Thank you so much, Sheila, for sharing your story today and for being of service. It's awesome to hear from you. And um, all right. Now we will go to our next speaker, Kevin F. And he will tell some of his story. Good morning, afternoon, evening, depending on where you're coming from. Uh, my name is Kevin. Uh, I identify as a person in recovery. Um, I, I thought the, the disclaimer was kind of funny. We'll be, we'll be talking about plant medicines, drugs, medicines, wh whatever you want to call them. And I think one of my uh, other concerns that I expressed to Bridget on the phone the other day was a disclaimer about talking about God in secular AA. Um, uh, and so I was you know, reflecting this morning about um, what to bring into my my share uh, on this topic. <clears throat> and I've been in a very like familial, reflective um, place. I'm about to embark on a, in, on a retreat. Um, uh, I fly down to on Tuesday in uh, Costa Rica for 10 days. I'm doing a two-day ceremony with the Iboga route, um, which I'll sort of circle back to uh, at the end. But um, coming into this experience with a lot of um, grief and family um, nostalgia uh, from my past. And so, you know, a big part of my story is really rooted in the spiritual foundation that I was raised in as a result of my mother being uh, the daughter of a preacher. Um, he was a, a Lutheran minister that I don't really have any memories of as he uh, passed away um, probably before I was four uh, years old. So sometimes I pretend that the pictures um, that I recall looking at are actual real memories. But um, nonetheless, you know, the moral framework of my life was heavily around um, what I considered to be a pretty typical middle class suburban upbringing in Long Island with the um, main distinction between my friends in school and my neighbors was that none of these people went to the church that I went to. And it's not like we went to a wacky church. It was just the Lutheran church, not very popular um, where I was from and a very conservative branch of Lutheranism. 
And so by the time I was reaching a point of um, confirmation in the faith, right, I had been going to years of weekly Sunday school, um, weekly church, uh, and um, lost my faith, essentially, at this age where I was supposed to be confirmed in it as an eighth grade um, person. And sort of as a in parallel, just kind of entering that rebellious state of adolescence where I just kind of rejected all of the formal values that had been attempted to be instilled upon me, which were from the church, were from public education, um, from my upbringing in the D.A.R.E. generation as a result of uh, this misguided attempt at protecting children from uh, drug use, from experimental drug use, while not actually equipping them with any education, access to harm reduction resources, or way of staying safe if they chose to say maybe, or yes, or had friends that said maybe, or yes, and wanted to keep them safe in that experimentation. So I was a little bit late to the party. Alcohol was a pretty socially acceptable thing in my family. I remember my father kind of giving me the last sips of the Corona beer at a family barbecue, probably because he wanted to turn me off from drinking as that last sip is typically the worst sip in a bottle of Corona. Um, but I also kind of rejected that alcohol. Um, I, that was the first thing that I experimented with as a 15 year old. Um, and then towards the end of my freshman year of high school, you know, this was uh, about 10 months after 9-11, um, which is, you know, the third happened on the third day of my freshman year of high school. So another pretty earth shattering paradigm shifting kind of moment at a pretty influential age that I was in. But I was pretty late to the party with experimentation of drug use. Um, but I felt that once I discovered a interest in cannabis that I had essentially been lied to about drugs my whole life. And if I was lied to about cannabis and it wasn't this demonic, evil, uh, totally destructive drug, what else was I lied to about psilocybin? Uh, what else was I lied to about cocaine? What was I lied to about opiates? And all of these other things suddenly became a pretty big fascination for me. And, you know, I would, um, leave a, 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 a session with my friends just getting stoned to come home and research on the internet to find why is this drug illegal? And that put me down a rabbit hole of discovering psychedelics, um, which I became very terrified of, fascinated by, and enthusiastic to try. So all of my initial exploration of these tools for expanding consciousness and experiencing a non-ordinary state um, was in a non-medical setting, was in a recreational setting as a teenager, was in, you know, um, scenarios where we weren't looking to see God or heal trauma or, you know, come to terms with, uh, you know, the, the suburban despair uh, of, 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 uh, of that kind of version of Americana. Um, it was just to, to take an interest in things. But I, I this, I realized that somewhat intuitively that there was a lot more to this story, both experientially and clearly in the rich history that I was discovering and learning about. So by the time I was on my way to college, you know, I had started to create some chaos in my life. Um, I became a, a marijuana seller to uh, basically um, deal with my own habit. But by college, I was really interested in trying to pursue a career 
in psychedelic research, becoming a psychologist or a neuroscientist or a pharmacologist or whatever that may be. But in the early to mid 2000s, there were very few opportunities to get into something like that um, as an undergrad, especially. But I happened to um, uh, find out about a trial uh, in, in Boston that I became a research assistant on. Um, administering MDMA therapy for existential distress in terminal uh, cancer patients. So the study never really finished. It's kind of a long story, but I got to witness the first participant go through the entire experimental protocol. So I got to watch a lot of what Sheila was talking about, but in that kind of above ground capacity in a heavily regulated environment. And it was still a very beautiful thing. Um, you know, Given my kind of lack of support, lack of interest in mentorship, uh, the risk of psychedelics has a, a, a hidden dark side of reinforcing um, misguided constructs of the ego. And I wouldn't say that I was on like total outer space trajectory a la Tim Leary, but I was, you know, a, a full of himself, uh, overconfident misguided um, young adult at a time where I was really needing to be focusing on getting my shit together, but that didn't really correspond to getting good grades, pursuing the types of opportunities that I wanted to. I just became kind of angry, rebellious, and depressed, um, which is a pretty big recipe for disaster when your experimentation uh, brings you around towards opiates. Um, so in 2009, uh, the weekend after I or in the weeks after I actually helped co-sponsor a conference about Ibogaine, which is derived from the Iboga shrub that I mentioned earlier, which is indigenous to Western equatorial Africa. Um, and it's a very uh, culturally, um, has a lot of cultural roots in the Bwiti tradition of that part of Africa that dates back centuries, somewhat colloquially, if people are more familiar with ayahuasca, um, in South America, it's kind of the African equivalent with tremendous differences. Um, but I sponsored this conference on Ibogaine, which in the early 60s was discovered to have miraculous potential for attenuating opiate detox and eliciting an incredibly powerful transformative experience on people who take it that allowed them to make some changes. It became dubbed as an addiction interrupter. So I had sponsored this conference, and within weeks, I to so totally in parallel, develop my own, started to develop my own habit to opiates. So, you know, flash forward a little bit and I became a college dropout, was living at home, uh, unemployable, uh, heroin addicted, and got um, arrested. And essentially, as a lot of young people do, and in this day and age, more and more people of all ages and stripes um, get introduced to the idea of abstinence-based recovery or recovery in general through law enforcement. Uh, which is an incredibly uh, wonderful way of uh, coercively being told that you're a fuck up and you need to change your life. And if you don't, we'll lock you up. Really lovely kind of intervention for what's considered a medical indication. Um, but nonetheless, I spent 30 days uh, at an abstinence-based 12-step rooted um, recovery treatment center, which is a strange misnomer because I didn't really think I experienced a lot of treatment. I experienced an interesting introduction to a way of life outlined by the 12 steps. And I said, no, thanks. I'm not interested in abstinence, not interested in a halfway house or outpatient therapy or medication-assisted treatment. I'm going to do my own thing, which as many I'm sure can identify with, my own thing didn't really last very long. And uh, 10 months into a pretty rough relapse, 
Um, the total opposite intervention happened by my mother who came in and unbeknownst to me, don't really know what, if any agenda she had, but just in a loving, unconditionally supportive gesture said, you know, what's going on? Like, do you need help? What can we do? And in that moment, all of the uh, resistance in me to not admit that I needed help was gone. And I just heard the words coming out of my mouth. It's like I was having an out-of-body experience. And I said, I don't think, you know, another however much money and another stint in this inpatient model is going to work for me. I'd like to try Ibogaine. So in 2011, um, I, I flew down to Mexico, which is uh, one of the few countries that is considered unregulated. So it's not explicitly legal, but it's also not illegal. So these um, groups and clinics and retreat centers had opened up to treat um, people with addictions. Uh, and I flew down there and um, I actually enrolled in a MAPS observational trial uh, looking at the outcomes for people that are treated with Ibogaine for opiate detox, followed me for a year after my treatment, but I experienced a complete um, resurgence of my sort of zest for life that I had really lost as a depressed, addicted, um, you know, uh, hopeless individual. And Ibogaine came in and just really struck a match on this tiny spark uh, that I had in me and inflamed my spirit, got me um, totally reinvigorated and gave me an open-mindedness to considering the spirituality-based 12-step approach that had been offered to me, which I thought was really the only thing that was being offered to me. Um, so I went to the total opposite end of the spectrum of uh, the sort of recovery addiction treatment universe and found well myself in uh, South Florida, living in a halfway house, going to the 12-step meetings every day, getting a job at Applebee's. Um, but I quickly discovered that I couldn't share my Ibogaine story um, with people that I was meeting in traditional rooms. And they would ask me, oh, you know, what was your drug of choice? Like that's how people socialize when, when you know, they're, they're, they're hanging out at clubhouses and meeting people. Um, as soon as I started to talk about my detox in Mexico, it just kind of brought along a sequential series of follow-ups that slowly had me just um, devolving into a shell and very um, disillusioned by the responses that I would get. And so I started censoring that part of my story. Um, and I just referred to it as my detox. And I tried to think of clever ways of kind of bringing in the insights that I was continuing to glean upon reflecting on my experience throughout that first three months, six months, nine months, a year in recovery. All the while, I'm participating in this observational trial, getting sent psychological questionnaires and having a, an interview every month with the pr principal investigator, um, as well as going to the mandated outpatient treatment, as well as uh, coming up to my drug court hearings um, and uh, being told that I'm, I'm doing well. So I eventually graduated from drug court, had my charges dismissed. Um, to this day, I don't have a criminal record, thankfully, and I got to build my life back up. Um, but about four years, three or four years into recovery, I, you know, I couldn't shake the fact that a lot of my, you know, uh, youthful exuberance had an interest in psychedelics. And I maintained that kind of professional um, ambition. And I felt that there was going to be a time that I needed to reconcile my identification as an abstinent person in Narcotics Anonymous and my interest in psychedelics. Can I be safe just hanging out in these places? Can I be uh, satisfied just pursuing this professionally or, you know, should I really see if I can 
um, incorporate uh, traditional experiences or direct experiences, but not having much confidence in the safety container. So I was basically kind of around 2014 looking for a way out of 12-step recovery. And I found this group in New York City that was calling themselves Plant Medicines in Recovery. Um, I was still living in Boston, but I made it down to that meeting. And what I found was it was a bunch of people from various 12-step groups also talking about their psychedelic use. And here I thought, well, this is wonderful, but I guess I'm stuck in 12 steps. So what was really um, a promising avenue wound up kind of folding and that initial group didn't exist. But after a couple months, I approached them and asked if they wanted to give it another try. And so we started to piece together the foundation of what became the worldwide fellowship uh, called Psychedelics in Recovery. And we decided to um, write a preamble, uh, write a list of guiding principles, and then be very minimal with all the other kind of foundational orientations that we wanted to uh, put on a website so that we could enter a period of finding the others and attracting a fellowship and having a diversity of perspective come in to really um, putting the initial skeletal structure of PIR um, into a proper program. And to this day, we're still kind of in that phase two of doing this. We, in the pandemic, um, have uh, really exploded in our membership thanks to our familiarity with Zoom since 2017, conducting meetings online. And so at the start of the pandemic, we um, launched, uh, which I believe now we have 20 or 21 weekly meetings every day of the week, has uh, at least two meetings, some have three, if not four. Um, and I'm gonna have a link dropped into the chat that can get people directly to our Zoom meetings links. We do have a newsletter that we um, ask people to subscribe to that just sends the Zoom links out every week. Um, but we also are really attempting to emulate the lineage of 12-step organization, uh, which is a pretty heavy lift when you're relying on volunteers and, and a peer-based strategy. But nevertheless, we are casting a, a wide net to really encompass people from across the spectrum of 12-step recovery. So whether it's a substance-related or behavioral addiction, or you're the family member and loved one of a person in recovery from a substance-related or behavioral addiction, you're welcome in PIR. Um, it's not even a requirement that you uh, are ingesting uh, psychedelics or plant medicines as integration. If you're just interested in that, and um, or have a history of it like like I do. I generally um, follow a pretty abstinence-based lifestyle still, um, but I have had a small number of uh, intentional experiences that felt right for me. Um, and I've been growing in my recovery um, for the past few years after uh, ending a relapse in, um, in 2018, uh, after my father had passed away suddenly. But this past year, um, I'm going to wrap it up. I'm approaching that 18-minute mark. Um, back in January, um, my wife and I experienced the stillbirth of our son at 35 weeks. And so this was supposed to be his crib behind me. Um, and we're really thrilled with uh, finding out just yesterday that uh, our 14-week, our 13-week uh, gestation right now is a, is a girl. Um, so hopefully um, inviting a, a baby girl into what would have been her brother's crib in, in May. Um, so fingers crossed for a healthy baby. But in my grief and the ups and downs of my life, 
uh, in the past few years from my father's passing to past grief and loss from prior to that to now my son's loss and trying to wrap my head around excitement and, and nervousness for a, a baby girl. Um, I was offered an opportunity to go to a retreat uh, to take a, a participate in a, um, a more traditional type of iboga based ceremony. So I'll be doing two retreats there. Um, a lot more to say. Clearly, I, I try to pack it in as much as I can, but I want to recognize time and, and share the share the room with the rest of the folks here. So thank you for inviting me today. Thank you for listening. And it was an honor. Thank you so much, Kevin. I'm so glad you're here today to share with us and um, just very fascinating. Um, and um, thank you for all that information too. And I'll be putting some links in the chat as well eventually. Um, so, all right. Um, I do wanna pause quickly for the seventh tradition. Um, the seventh tradition states that we are self-supporting through our own contributions, but you know, um, your presence here is more important than your money. So you do not need to worry about it if it's too much. And I'll, I'm going to pop a link in the chat for that. We are going to move on now to um, our next speaker. And let's see here. Okay. Um, Sean, would you please be our next speaker? Where are you? Oh, there you are. How are you doing? Actually, Prism and I are here together. Um, so we're the next two speakers. Um, I want to thank you for inviting us. And um, I don't know, you have anything you want to start with or you want me just to jump in? Um, you jump in. I can so, some stuff. So first of all, I really appreciate uh, the honor of being invited to a, a secular AA uh, meeting to speak about plant medicine and psychedelics and the use of what people like to term recreational drugs of, of using them therapeutically. And I'm a man that truly believes that there are therapeutic uses in many of the drugs that are out there. Um, I specifically am a, a plant medicine maker, specifically cannabis. Uh, and I have many, many years experience. Um, I also have many years of experience using um, LSD, and I call it therapeutic usage. But what really is going to interest you is I also have 33 years in 12-step programs. I'm a, a friend of Bill's and a friend of Jimmy K's. And, you know, I work, I've gotten a lot of work done in both of these rooms. Um, but I'm also a man that didn't believe there's anything greater than myself when I first came to the room. So I really appreciate the secular version because that's kind of how I started. Um, but I've always from day one coming into the rooms, uh, use plant medicine to make my life better. And for me, it was about a motives check. Am I using to escape or am I using to make my life better? And although I do have a history of drug usage, um, from the time I was a kid, Every night before I went to bed, I'd smoke a joint because the chances were I wouldn't wake up in the morning with a migraine headache. Okay. And at 13 years old, this decision was backed by my, my parents. Um, so it really was therapeutic usage. It really did make my life better. It really gave me less migraines. Um, 
So, you know, if there, I don't know if there's going to be a question and answer session, uh, I'd be happy to jump in on that. Um, but I, I personally am the hugest proponent of therapeutic uses of cannabis, of therapeutic uses of uh, other drugs that actually, you know, I mean, cannabis and LSD, that's, that's my history. Um, the first lady that was speaking, uh, we'll be happy to hear that. Uh, so we're here in Eugene, Oregon, and also that's where MAPS is. Uh, and our good friend Rick is in his second confirmation phase, three of the third phase of the trial, or I, I don't understand that. Uh, they're about to go in front of the FDA for MDMA-approved psychotherapy. So we're almost there, guys. Um, because there truly are uses of cannabis, of psychedelics, of you know, MDMA. Uh, I mean, there, there are uses that we can come out of it a better person, a healthier person, a happier person, a less stressed person, a less triggered person. Uh, you know, in my world, I deal with cannabis oil. And, you know, it's, it's a wonder, it's, it's a miracle for my veterans that come home with PTSD. Because it really helps. It's a miracle for people that have cancer because it really helps. Um, you know, I see nothing shy of miracles on that front on a daily basis. The stuff saved my life 12 years ago. And, and I'm a huge proponent of it. And I try not to vocalize it too much when I'm in my 12-step rooms, although everybody knows what I do. I literally, I'm a legal producer in the state of Oregon. Um and and a huge proponent you know it's a recreational world out there right now and i own a very thin channel of the therapeutic aisle uh and it's unfortunate it really is unfortunate that the people want to go get loaded but they don't want to go get healthy and you know the reason that we get so much pushback for cannabis or drugs that actually help us heal uh, it's because we don't have health care in this country. We have disease care. They want to take really good care of your disease. They don't want us getting better. They certainly don't want us treating ourselves and getting better. It's one thing that the Netflix uh, special highlighted was, you know, nobody wants to develop a drug where two or three treatments and you're cured. Uh, that just doesn't make sense as far as the big pharma goes. But that gives us the power to take our healing into our own hands. From PTSD to chronic pain to drug addiction to cancer to, you know, everything, really. Um, like I said, I'm a, a, a master of the, of the plant medicine. Uh, and I'm also very experienced in the LSD world. I've taken LSD, not recently, uh, because I haven't needed to but I've taken it therapeutically, uh, which means that what, what, we, what they call in PIR, I would, I would take heroic doses uh, because that would put me in a tent by myself in my head and would help me break down my own walls because, you know, one thing we learn in, in recovery rooms is, you know, the biggest obstacle we have is ourselves. I don't want to speak for anybody else, but that's what I learned going into the rooms was that I'm my biggest obstacle. 
And the introspection that I get when I have a psychedelic trip, my life is just more clear the next day. I see people who, you know, the one of the, I see it all the time, and it's a beautiful thing. Uh, some even with cannabis oil, but they spoke to it in the in the Netflix series that it makes people okay with dying. You know, that's a big fear out there. Uh, I'll be honest. In 2010, the doctor told me I had a year or two to live. That scared the shit out of me. You know, it really did. And thankfully, cannabis oil saved my life. Uh, so I don't know. Do we have a question and answer? I mean, I guess I should give you a chance to chime in here, too. Sure. So this is Prism, guys. She's uh, she's very experienced in the microdosing, uh, among other things. But I, I, I'll, I'll just let you speak. Okay. Hi, guys. Prism, I'm a grateful member of a couple of 12-step programs, and I first, I just want to say thank you um, to the people that have worked really hard behind the scenes to pull this together. Uh, I understand it's been weeks and weeks and weeks of organizing the platform, um, multitude breakout rooms, all the tech, but um, also to Bridget and um, your friend that really brought this to the conference, I think for the first time we get to have this conversation. And um, I just want to say thank you for that first. I think it's pretty amazing that 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 we'll get to make these connections in my in my perfect world. I'll I'll get a mashup of psychedelics and recovery and secular AA. And so that's kind of why I agreed to get on camera, which is really uncomfortable for me. Um, some of my friends from the secular realm know I literally never turn my camera on. So anyway, I'm super excited to to be part of this panel. And what I brought with me, um, I think the title of the panel says something about new frontiers. And I wanted to stress for people that plant medicine is not new in any way, <laughs> you know, and, and I also want to stress the difference between the, the terminology between drugs and for myself personally, sacred plant medicine is, is really like the, the cap for me. That's, that's the avenue. That's my path. And I, I'm not interested in, in really promoting the um, the monetized version of sacred plant medicine, which is um, unfortunate. That's 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 how you have to roll, and that's why we have friends that have been at this for twenty years. Um, it's taken that long to get permission from the FDA, and and what I did bring was a letter from um, this is this is a letter from SAMHSA that was written um, this last May. Um, that's addressing the the inevitability of MDMA and psilocybin being federally approved. Um, personally, I don't feel like I need permission to access plant medicine, and and as a as a cultivator and a grower professionally and commercially in the past, I also sat on on the board um, of a psychedelic services nonprofit here in Eugene. Um, so that's kind of my background with psychedelics. Um, I 
I think in the interest of transparency, I should also let you know that I have 13 months sober. And when I enter a room, when I enter a recovery room, that's one of the first things I do is try to find who has the most time. Those are really the people that I want to listen to. And so if you want to hit your mute button right now, because all I have is 13 months, then go for it. <laughs> I, I'll totally understand. But I'm, I'm abstinent from everything at this point. And um, the letter that I brought, though, was just to let you guys know, people that need permission, people that respect the government control of our access to plant medicine, um, we're looking at just in, in under two months. There, we're, we're finished with all the trials and all the sciences there that was missing in the 60s, you know. Um, we have the science now backing up the fact that these medicines literally work um, without all the side effects of of the Western medication versions for all your um, antidepressants. And I'm in no way saying don't take your medicine. So please don't mistake me. I've been down that route too. And for me personally, um, I'd much rather go right to what comes out of the dirt and knowing that I grew it myself than you know, taking some pills that somebody made in a lab. Um, so this letter though, um, specifically the MDMA, I do, I have a lot of experience with that. I did not use it in a therapeutic, a therapeutic <laughs> sense at all. And so that's, that's off the menu for me as a, as a healing tool. Um, you know, there's no shot, shut off for me there because literally it's a huge serotonin dump the way that, the way that compound works. Um, and, and it's also got a lot of amphetamine in it. Um, so I think, I, I guess I respect that that's, that, that, that that's going to be available um, therapeutically with the aid of doctors and people that are certified to monitor your heart rate and all those kind of things. And otherwise, you know, dumping it concurrent, like with alcohol on the dance floor, I don't recommend that anymore. Um, but so the FDA is approving that in um, this letter. I want to get to that. Um, so SAMHSA is SAMHSA is the um, Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, and they're part of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. The FDA approval is is what allowed um, MAPS to to do all the tests and to prove like, hey, this has medicinal value. And, and they jumped through all those hoops and they got the approval. So um, that research started in 1990. And, you know, so when I say that it's not, that this is not a new frontier, it's been going on for decades, but it's just taken that bucket long, excuse me. It's been taken that long to, to nail it down and, and get all the paperwork and the graphs and things and the money, you know, to get the funding. It's what you have. It's what you have to do. So um, I feel like I'm, I had too much coffee, you guys. So, but like, uh, like the other people that were speaking, Kevin and, oh, fuck, I knew I was going to for it. Sheila, thanks. That MDMA specifically is a good tool to help relieve people from their complex PTSD. And then the psilocybin for um, treatment resistant depression. I'm also familiar with, um, Amanita, Amanita muscaria. I'm actually after this conference going to head up to the mushroom festival that's out Mount Pisgah every year. Um, I dress like a giant Amanita and hand out 
not actual mushrooms, but um, over the years, people have been told that these these are poisons. And while they're simultaneously being fed that alcohol is how we celebrate, alcohol is how we grieve, you know, get your mommy juice at the end of the day. So anyone interested in finding out for themselves, though, can learn that that the mushrooms have been used for thousands of years. Um, used mindfully, what I what I also brought with me was um, it's the it's the psychedelics and recovery um, preamble. And I, I don't I don't want to like step on anyone's toes. I when I got invited to like join this panel, I think the first thing I said was go go to the website, go to psychedelicsandrecovery.org and find somebody. Like I don't I don't feel comfortable being on camera. I haven't done anything publicly for I've been kind of in hiding for four years, just working on my own recovery. Um I feel like I have that locked in now. And and I'll tell you the way I'm doing it is coming to meetings. Um I have a sponsor. I won't say anything about their connection to any other methods of recovery, but it did take me a while to find someone who, who knew my, my background and my history as a cultivator and as a proponent of psychedelic medicine. When I found psychedelics in recovery, I lost my shit. I was like, oh, okay, my tribe. So I, um, I just want to read this for, for people who might not check it out for themselves. Um, this is our preamble. Psychedelics and Recovery is a 12-step fellowship of people from all 12-step programs and other passive recovery who share our experience, strength, and hope with each other. Our primary purpose is to pursue recovery and help others do the same as defined by the individual. Mm. The only requirement for membership is a desire to recover from our addictive behaviors and or interest in, and interest in psychedelics as an aid to our process of recovery. Our members either have had prior experience with or interested in integrating the intentional use of psychedelics and or plant medicines into our spiritually oriented program. Psychedelics and recovery is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. We do not sell or promote the use of any substances. This is a safe space in which we can openly discuss the role of psychedelics in our individual recovery journeys. While psychedelics are not considered inherently addictive, we practice mindfulness and accountability around the intentions we carry in the utilization of these medicines. We recognize that some in recovery may form addictive patterns with anything that includes altered states. If we find we're using these experiences in self-destructive ways or as a means to escape or avoid, we practice rigorous honesty with ourselves and trusted others in order to promptly restore a healthy recovery process. I thought that would be helpful um, for people who haven't experienced a psychedelics and recovery meeting yet. The, the documentation for psychedelics and recovery meetings is available on their website, and you can read all that stuff yourself before you decide you're interested in checking out a meeting. And um, I've, I've been kind of nervous about, I reached out, and I think it's actually Kevin who I've been um, possibly emailing with. Um, I was super nervous about being part of a meeting where I'm outing myself as, you know, I have, I have a lot of friends in the non, in the, in the secular um, community. And, and I don't talk about this regularly pretty much at all in, in those meetings. And I have two different home groups in the secular community. And there's a late night meeting that I attend that I feel pretty comfortable. And I often pop the, pop the links in for psychedelics meetings. 
but on a on a daily this is something i pretty much keep to myself mostly because i don't want to offend or trigger anybody and that's why i make the distinction between drugs and plant medicine and an intentional use of any kind of substance you know you're going to wake yourself up in the morning. I, I intend to have clarity. So I'm going to get some caffeine. I'm not a coffee achiever. I'm just using that as an example, but that's kind of all I want to say. I don't, I don't, I've, I've never liked the qualifying um, bit about meetings. And when people are speaking, I think it's just a way to let people know, Hey, uh, we have some stuff in common. And so, you know, to connect with everybody, um, I'm an alcoholic, like hands down. And I feel if I didn't have access to plant medicine, I would not be sober right now, but my program and my practice has this, this community as a foundation. So, you know, if I end up without access to plant medicine, on the foundation, the scaffolding really is built on the meetings and connecting with people who are also trying to stay sober from alcohol and other um, recreational drugs. So um, I think I feel like I'm starting to ramble. <laughs> so psychedelicsandrecovery.org, if you want to check out the, the website, uh, that's where you'll find the preamble and, and all the literature or information. It is new, but it's a newer uh, program. Well, yes, I mean, technically it's been around for a while because it was a, a core guys that that held the chairs for us until the second wave showed up. And um, there's a lot of people out there that I'm very grateful for, including all the ones that helped put on this uh, element. But the, the people that are putting PIR together are, are, are an amazing group of people. And, you know, most of them come out of the rooms from Bill W., and want to find a way to make the quality of life better. And a lot of the Western medicine solutions just don't do that. And another thing that, that I found, having been in the rooms for as long as I have, is that, you know, it seems that one common, very common denominator we all have is a lot of us, you know, pick up because of trauma. and. It's really nice to see people heal. Uh, I'm very blessed to be in the position that I'm in. On a daily basis, I get reports of people that have healed themselves uh, or helping their PTSD, gotten off the opiates. They don't have cancer anymore. Chronic pain is lowered. I mean, I get all these reports that just are amazing. And they're not, they're used in ways that don't get you high. They just make you feel better. And everybody out there has a battle and everybody can appreciate a little bump in the quality of life. And when used with that, you know, with that in mind and with that mindset, because when it comes to the therapeutic use of any drug, it really is about, what do we call it? Our mind and our mindset? Set and setting. Set, set and setting. <laughs> there we go. Sorry, I'm tired. Okay. Crack it on. Yeah, it's all about your mindset. You know, and how you prepare to embrace the change that you're going to receive. And then you receive it. And there really are therapeutic uses. 
And like I said, like we were talking about earlier, you know, uh, Dr. Rick Doblin has made some amazing progress with getting F MDMA. If he's FDA approved, is it not going to make it federally? It's going to make yeah, it a schedule. He's, are, yeah, he's already so, approved. Right. So, yeah, it's it's here, guys. Um, but once again, I truly believe that that should not be, you know, a take-home drug for a novice drug user. I think that should be used in a clinical environment with somebody that's able to help you with whatever your trauma is that brought you into these rooms. And I don't, I don't know how else to put it. There really is a way you can help yourself heal. Uh, I just can't. Yeah, please. Just kind of rambling myself. I just want to interject really quick for anyone on the secular side of things. Um, a shameless plug for a women's meeting that I'm, I have a, um, volunteer service position. I've, I tried for like six months to get a service position in my um, secular realm. So I have a service position in the psychedelics realm and it's with a women's meeting that meets every Monday morning. So if you want some information about that meeting, I'm happy to send invite links so you guys can check it out for yourself. And you can go to the psychedelics and recovery website and get on the mailing list of the Zoom meetings that are happening on a daily basis now. Actually, a couple, three meetings on some days. Um, and it's just another Zoom meeting that you can check out. That's really kind of cool. It's uh, the same. It's kind of the same as um, the decompression that's happening in the secular realm when people um, port over from like traditional and orthodox AA. There's a decompression that happens, you know, when you leave behind a uh, an oppressive kind of spiritual expectation that comes with from that realm. We're kind of over in psychedelics and recovery porting over and also decompressing. Like, I don't know if that, if that makes sense, but I see a parallel there. So this is Michelle. I I'm, I'm a little bit chiming in. Thank you guys so much. This is, um, I, I'm, I'm Bridget. I just want to ask: Are we done with the? Yeah, thank you. Um, done with um, uh, the speakers and um, yes. Have, yay! Awesome. So you know what? Great. Like I know that that was really difficult. Thank you so much, Prism. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, we have uh, time for questions. Um, if you want to post things in the chat, that would be awesome. Um, I'm sure Bridget, you. We have a couple um, ideas on, on on wrapping this up, but I I do have a question. I mean, like we're all people in recovery, obviously, and and um, um, with the exception of, of Sheila, I don't believe that that you are, and 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 yay for you. <laughs> um, but I, I I'm just wondering, um, you know, Kevin and, and Prism, you both talked about um, uh, the fact that you guys prism you're new back into um 15 months and, and kevin you talked about early on um you, you stepping back out i'm wondering what that looks like different from um different from what's happening now so uh if you guys want to maybe speak to that and i will we'll go to questions other questions thank you oh. <laughs> i'm gonna let kevin go first yeah, shut that back off. <laughs> Kevin, it's yours, bro. 
Yeah, well, I can speak to certainly the personal aspect, but I also want to, for folks um, checking out the literature on our website. So we, you know, early on, we were trying to sort of figure out what we wanted our lineage to be under and whether we considered ourselves something wholly different. Um, are we a harm reduction organization? Are we um, are we a 12-step fellowship? And you can probably imagine as any organizing uh, conversation goes, that was a pretty contentious time. Um, but we ultimately adopted this identification among the 12-step kind of approach. Um, and we've wanted to kind of pioneer some more progressive ideas around different things. And it was a little easy to come up with, well, yeah, let's use gender neutral language with a lot of the original uh, literature that wasn't as contentious, but something like, well, what is abstinence? If we're bringing in people from behavioral fellowships that never struggled with substance related stuff, we're kind of experimenting with identification here, but then we're also you know, are we opening Pandora's box with saying, well, here's our kind of justification, if you want to call it that, for why we feel that intentional uses of psychedelics is really not um, addictive type behavior. Well, then where do you kind of extend that to other things? Like if I used to be a, a methamphetamine addict is having a glass of wine, okay. So we essentially landed on this somewhat imperfect, but I think pretty appropriate um, idea of what's considered a self-defined sobriety. Um, so, you know, if, if what works for me is, is keeping me, you know, in balance, in tune, aligned with my principles, and it's not like I need to jump on, on a meeting and justify the fact that I use medicines or drugs just for, you know, um, just for the sake of controversy, right? And we want to give people the autonomy and give people some um, validity there and and just to acknowledge that we don't feel that um, certain service positions ought to be held in some kind of hierarchical standard. So we want you know appropriate, responsible, um, uh, accountable types of, of opportunities for people to give experience, strength and hope or volunteer and service positions. But we also don't want to make this like a, an, an obligatory thing to ascribe to a certain set of uh, expectations. So we really try to leave things up to the group. Um, you know, I've written previously about my relapse. Uh, I read, wrote a couple of articles for thefix.com uh, that, that are still up. I believe I wrote them under a pseudonym, which they may still be uh, under there, but one is called I Take Psychedelics and I'm in Recovery, something like that. And then I wrote a follow-up called Anatomy of a Relapse, which was my sort of about face and kind of humbling myself to describe what I had felt had happened to me. And essentially all the similar hallmarks of relapse that I had heard about in traditional uh, rooms happened with me where I just became increasingly disillusioned, resentful, and distance, distant from all of the things that I knew to keep me supported. So um, it's taken really years for me to feel that I've reached a stable foundation enough to even be considering um, going embarking on a plant medicine ceremony. So it's because I'm active again in meetings. It's because I'm active in a process that I feel grounded enough to do that. So I hope that answered some questions and probably gave a whole lot of extra information too. That's perfect. And Prism, do, did you want to speak as well? So this is my fourth decade in the rooms. And um, what's different this time is, you know, I got desperate enough 
Um, I had four years sober. I, I'm one of the people that believes that we we have access to the cumulative experience of of the work that we do in the rooms. And so that said, I have seven cumulative years of sobriety. You know, I'm 54. <laughs> Think about that. Um, and and I have been self medicating, you know, since I was 13. And I have childhood sexual trauma. And um, at the point where the self-medication starts getting upside down, I've come into the rooms and I knew that's where I had to go uh, this last time around. And what's different for me this time is following the rules. Uh, I've tried to do it without a sponsor in the past. I got four years um, in a team effort with my husband and... um, we have three small businesses and, you know, we just started to fight a lot and we weren't doing anything for fun. And so we're at a, a truffle festival and well, let's just do wine tasting. That's sophisticated. And I, I joke with my sponsor about the pinkies out thing, you know, <laughs> you try to control. So anyway, um, we ended up, we bought four bottles of wine and ended up in the hot tub, drank all four bottles. And, and I remember clearly saying at that time with foresight that it's a special occasion, but soon it will be holidays. Then it will be weekends. Then it will be a Tuesday and then it will be the mornings. And that's exactly how that works. And, and being in the um, cannabis industry, I was a licensed medical grower. Um, I, I did more drugs in, in, in that time span than I, than I did, throughout all of my teens and it's just it's just part of the schmoozing and you know the buying and the selling and the moving and the growing and um there's so many aspects of connecting with people it just got out of control for me and and throughout all of it was you know the I'm I'm working on, on a nonprofit um for psychedelic plant medicine you know as a cultivator putting on lectures and presentations uh, and and at the same time you know <laughs> so when that when that raised you know its ugly head of you are completely upside down with all of this and what a fraud you're going to be over here describing how plant sacred plant medicine is you know going to bring you enlightenment and peace of mind you know and you're I won't describe the ugly side of it so the point I'm at now, how, um, when I came back in, I knew what I was going to have to do different, different is do whatever the fuck your sponsor tells you, get a sponsor and do what they say. And even if you disagree with it, like, um, and, and the, the flip side of that is, is that there's more than one sponsor out there. And, and if it gets to a point where your path is is going to part because you know yourself better, you know, just, I don't know what to say. I'm, I'm just happy that I have, yeah, yeah. I'm just, that's what they say. (laughs) And, and, and I'm doing the steps personally, I'm using, um, staying sober without God by Jeffrey Munn. And somebody had the foresight to, to put together a workbook that's based on all the questions he asks in that book. And, um, for anyone that's interested, I also have a link for that workbook, but that's, 
I'm going through the steps with my sponsor using that book. And then the other book that I'm using is the alternative 12 steps. Um, it has like 15 different versions of the steps. Um, and then a place for you to write your own steps. And it's just super user-friendly. So um, I have a confidence in my uh, in my sobriety now that I never had previously. And, and I'm actually looking at, I'm heading into a divorce here. And, and I ha I have so much serenity, like I, I can't explain it. And it's, you know, the peace that surpasses all understanding. That's kind of a I'm borrowing so that from, but that's what this, that's what, that's what serenity is. And even when life gets lifey, you know, and it's really fucking lifey right now, but I still, nothing is going to rob me of my sobriety. And I keep that by coming to the meetings. You know, I've, I've been in cannabis for, you know, over 40 of my 55 years on this planet. I mean, yeah, honey, back in the day, we were all outlaws and there was a lot of dope and there was a lot of old school. But I mean, you even have your permit. You've worked in the industry. It is actually a legitimate industry now. I have a, you know, legal business um, and there's no drug usage. It's all about working. That's, you know, farming is farming. I don't care if you're growing pot or potatoes. It's farming. Um, and you know that's what's amazing about PIR is it's just so forefront on the legalities and the options that we have to learn to heal ourselves, whether it's cannabis to ketamine to LSD to shrooms to you know I mean there's a bunch of them out there that are so healing now that you know depending on what your battle is do your research. Do your microdosing or do your heroic dosing or get your healing. So, Sean and Prism, uh, we have um, we're going to actually open this up so, because we have a lot of people um, have their hands up. So we're going to do do it. Um, sure. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Thank you all. I appreciate the honor of being invited here. We really do. We really do. Hey, Xander here. Uh, it's great to be here. And thank you, everyone, for your shares and for Bridget and Michelle for spearheading this and getting this off the ground. It's been a really um, very thought-provoking uh, meeting, so I really appreciate it. When, when I first started coming around the rooms and I got clean and sober, I was on a bunch of, you know, like antidepressants, anxiety medications, like all that kind of stuff. And there were people in the rooms and, and the dogma in the room at that point in time was you know, no mind mood altering substance. And, um, and I was advised that I wasn't considered clean and sober because I was taking like, you know, these antidepressants and stuff like that. So um, I actually stopped taking them for a while. And like, that wasn't okay. You know, that's not okay. We're not in here as, uh, as doctors to advise people how to take care of themselves. We're here to share our experience, strength and hope about how we take care of ourselves. I have recently started back on medication. Yay. <laughs> I've recently started um, microdosing in my therapy. And it's, uh, it was uh, a very, a very thoughtful and long process between my therapist and my doctor and um, my support group in recovery of talking it through and what it would look like and how it would work and, and all, all sorts of, all sorts of stuff. And I got to tell you though, since I've started doing it and I just do it for my therapy, 
right? About an hour before my therapy sessions, I take my medication and I go into my therapy. And uh, it has been, um, it's been pretty instrumental in, in, in helping me open up and uh, um, supporting me in uh, to go on what I need to do in my therapy. So for me, it's been extremely beneficial, right? Um, but again, I would never tell anyone, you know, what to do or what not to do. You know, I can just say what has worked and what hasn't worked for me. Um, but uh, I, I really appreciate the the openness of this because there's still it, it's it's there's still a lot of a lot of Kool Aid in the rooms about medication, you know, about um, uh, whether it means you're clean and sober if you're on anything or not on anything. Um, and I think that's really dangerous. And I think that that can kill people, you know. So I'm really I'm I'm really grateful that we're here talking about this. So I appreciate you all. Thanks very much. Yay, Xander. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um uh and and the coming out, thank you. <laughs> it's hard. Like and these these rooms, I feel it's really authentic. I there are a couple questions um before we get to Francis is next. Um uh Daniel B asks, does anybody go through psychedelic process and come to the conclusion? that there was no deep psychological trauma. You may or may not be able to answer that, but um, anybody have uh, 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 any words on that? Sheila, you want to take that? I grew up, yeah, um, that's an interesting question. Uh, so when I first, after doing Ibogaine and arriving in South Florida, I was reading Gabor Mate's in the realm of hungry ghosts. And he, you know, his, he might as well have trauma tattooed on his forehead at this point. It was very interesting reading um, about his work at it with the Portland hotel society and, and the, um, the worst of the worst kind of cases that came into the treatment there. And I was trying to reconcile like where in my life was this trauma that led me to being uh, addicted. If I, I can't identify abuse, harm or anything like that, none of my psychedelic experiences encountered anything like that. Um, and rather than go searching for it, it just kind of invited me to um, practice a, a deep in self-acceptance about who I am, what I've been through, whether I have big T trauma, little T trauma, complex trauma, or just pain, uh, pain from loss, pain from grief. It doesn't matter. Um, so ultimately that's kind of the outlook I have. I could say more, but I'd rather not. So thanks. Thank you, Kevin. Hey, um, let's, let's go to Prentice. Um, if you could unmute. Hi, everyone. My name is Prentos. I'm a person in recovery. And, uh, you know, Sean just barely threw it in at the last second there, ketamine. I just wanted to mention ketamine for the group. It seems like there are probably a good number of people that this is um, somewhat new information. And, you know, we talk about plant medicines and psychedelics. I think some psychedelics is really the umbrella term. Plant medicines is pretty much ayahuasca, ibogaine psilocybin mushrooms and then you could you could even have a category amphibian medicines which would be 5-MeO and kana but ketamine is the only currently legal um, psychedelic and is used primarily for depression but also very effective for um, uh, 
anxiety and other mental health issues and uh, is worth thinking about. Um, it is it is a molecule. It, it like MDMA isn't a plant medicine. Um, it's a it's a synthetic substance and it has the party the bad party drug history that MDMA has and um, but it also just like MDA is a really valuable tool in um, treating mental health issues and that's it thank you Prentice thank you um uh, for more knowledge and information <laughs> very much thank you um if I can ask Judy North Carolina to unmute hi I'm um a cannabis addict and <clears throat> I'm also here to testify that cross addiction is a thing um in rather than the I I was on the alcohol I was trying to substitute alcohol and get off the cannabis because I continually found myself in the hospital from cannabinoid hyperemesis, which is uncontrollable vomiting. And I didn't realize I was doing it to myself. And um, I would I would wake and bake and smoke four hits four times a day. I tried to stop for four months, but it's like an alcoholic. I would just smoke with friends or just smoke on weekends and then it got to be a, the everyday ritual again wake and bake i'm aware that cannabis and the other drugs have medical uses but i also wanted to bring up the the danger and the reality of addiction so now i'm a cannabis addict and an alcoholic but through the help of secular AA who, who have been very accepting and supportive. I've been able to stay abstinent and sober and I'm working on emotional sobriety three years, six months and 13 days. So thank you for the 12 steps. Yeah. I'm so happy to be free. Well, thank you, Judy. Much, very much appreciated. I, I, um, I think it's a, a it, it's very true. And actually, a lot of questions about that specifically. I think that um, you know, it's a good segue into um, Sheila, who I believe there there doesn't have the addiction situation, but the PD um, and and treating maybe the emotional. Um, um, we're uh, definitely treating the emotional aspect of it. And so I'm, Sheila, um, questions are, are, you said that I believe that you said 10 times that you've done this in, in I believe I did the math, 10, the last 10 years. I mean, how is that, um, it, how is that decided? Like you said, you have a therapist. And so like, can you speak on that? Yeah, um, for like 10, time, 10 MDMA sessions is quite a lot actually. Um, most people, and as in with the MAPS trials, they do it three times. So say for the veterans who have gone overseas and experienced a serious trauma out in, say, Iraq or Afghanistan, um, they will come back here, do the three treatments, and usually they no longer qualify for PTSD because their trauma happened to them as an, as an adult. And that's much easier to deal with than something, 
you know, um, an early childhood where you, as a child, you don't even have the understanding of what happened. What is trauma? What did I go through? Is this good or bad? But it feels bad. So something in childhood is much more complex. Um, but there is no real re like regimen on how much one has to do these treatments. It's really self-guided with also in, in, in partnership with one's own therapist and also facilitator. So for me, I knew, and again, like what I, what I love about MDMA and some of these psychedelics is that they really put you in touch with your own inner guide. So you can kind of guide you on what's best. Um, and so for me, after say 10 times, I had come, I had worked through actually multiple traumas because I just realized I had, they had been piled on and I was queen of self-denial. Um, and although I've never um, been officially an, uh, called, a, you know, an addict, like I was using alcohol to numb for most, you know, since I was 12, I think. Yeah. So, so there's, there's no kind of de decision on like how many times one, you know, one needs to use these medicines, you know, yourself. And I thought, okay, you know what? I've worked through these traumas, 10 session. I actually had a lovely, I had a loving session. I thought, you know, MDMA is considered this kind of party drug and this heart, you know, drug and heart opener, life affirming. And all I got was darkness until the 10th session where it's, it was like, you've done the work, you've looked at the traumas, you've gone into the darkness, you've kind of opened the closets and looked at those monsters and made friends with those monsters. And now I was starting to experience joy. And I, I had my 10th session was a love of music and appreciation for the world that I'm living in and how much I love my partner, you know, things that I never expected to show. So, you know, you know, when, you know, when you're, when you've completed the, the work. If I could just interject the way I like to put that is only you can tell you what makes you feel better. That's the thing that's so lovely about self-treatment. So there is no doctor directed take two for six weeks. Yeah. You know, yeah. like was pointed out, 10 treatments is pretty extreme. If a combat veteran only needs three. Um, but you knew when you got there, I knew when I got there, people know, you know, when you get there, okay. only you can tell you what makes you feel better. Thank you. Thanks, Sean. Appreciate Thanks. It. Yeah. Hey, um, we have a couple other people. I, uh, Bridget, I'm, I'm aware of time. Do, um, I don't know what time we close here. So if I need to cut off, <laughs> but um, um, we're going to have Joe in, in Texas. If you want to unmute yourself. Hey, y'all, I'm Joe, definitely a substance person. I had, um, I've got what kind of finally got the di final last diagnosis was what they call treatment resistant PTSD. Um, I've been in therapy 20 years on all kinds of SSRIs, whatever they call them. And um and I've known that I, and I've been in hypnosis and all my therapists have said that I seem to have some kind of blockage, I mean, you know, because of my depression is very cyclical, but I got off of all my um, antidepressants and all within the last uh, two or three years. I've had psychedelic in my, as my potential, as, as an aid for me for quite a long time. I did a few trips as a, as a young person and uh, had there were some that were absolutely tremendous and there were some that had bad side effects. But I did find that it was a breakthrough. And, um, and I was very well aware that um, it involved, um, 
a lessening of the self and a letting down of my defenses um, to maybe uh, proceed. I'm in very long-term sobriety and I'm still dealing with this crap 43 freaking years later, you know, and um, it's, uh, it's a pain in the butt. The other question I had was microdosing versus full dosing. Seems like my, for some, to me, I could be wrong, but microdosing seems like playing with it as opposed to committing. But then again, maybe it's safer that way because after this long period of time, my body might not be ready for, for full dosing. And the other thing happens to how in the world do you find a therapist that is um, that will work with you uh, along these lines? Um, I have my therapy. I can, it can be paid if I choose to uh, enact it again. But I'd like to be able to know that I can find a therapist somewhere that um, uh, realizes that this is my life and my trip. And uh, I would just like some assistance with that. Thank you. Um, do I mean, maybe we perhaps um, the resources is, is um, the PRI uh, website. I don't know if anybody wants to chime in, but um, um, uh, or even in the chat. <laughs> Jeb, and we're going to ask you to unmute if you would like to speak a couple words, ask a couple okay. questions. Thank Thank you, Michelle. My name is Jeb, and I'm a grateful recovered addict alcoholic. I'm 83 years old, and I have over 44 years in recovery uh, from alcohol and drugs. Well, except for nicotine, and it's only about 34 years. But, uh, I mean, you know, this is what, one of the best workshops or panels that I've found really encouraging because um, I, I've as I've gotten older, my PTSD or complex PTSD and ADHD have increased. Uh, the last several months have been absolutely hor horrifying for me and my family. Therefore, my doctor finally increased my Adderall and told me I need to get back to the full dosage of Lexapro as an anti-anxiety drug. However, I, I, I think there must be other things I can do. And uh, so I really appreciate the resources and I will be uh, forwarding to a friend of mine who missed the first part of the, this thing, uh, the, the link for, uh, uh, for the various websites and so forth. Um, I don't really, I just, I'm not sure what I need to do next because the, the pandemic has increased all of this because I've been pretty much a hermit for the last two and a half years with other people in recovery. So I don't, I, I'm not asking for a prescription, I guess. I just want more, more encouragement and that's why I'm here. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Jeb. Thank you. Yeah, um, very excited. We're all here. This is, this is uh, I, I'm excited about this topic. So, um, all right, so can we talk, Donna, if you want to uh, unmute yourself? My name's Donna. I'm an alcoholic, uh, drug addict. Uh, over, I, I qualify for everything. And I've been in the rooms for 25 years. Um, I like the way Prism put it. I have a cumulative uh, sobriety of of. 22 years and I have seven years currently off of everything other than prescription 
psychiatric medication. And it makes me uncomfortable. And that's why I came today. I don't even know what I want to ask. I did um, I did send a message to PRISM. I'm, I'm hoping for some more information about some things that she said she'd be willing to give more information about. And I, I sponsor some people, and I like to keep an open mind about all of this, because I know when I was first coming in and people would say, you got to get off of those psychiatric meds. And people, I mean, I know women in this little town that I live in that killed themselves because they took their sponsor's advice and got off all their medication and became suicidally depressed or whatever. They couldn't take it anymore. I hear about people microdosing with mushrooms and um, using marijuana. And I, I am so addicted to those. I mean, I loved mushrooms and, and marijuana was actually my drug of choice. So, but I would really like to get off my psychiatric meds. And I think that, that plant medicine, I mean, I believe that plant medicine is way better for me than, uh, than the alternatives that the, that the conventional medicine practitioners give to me. So I don't know what I'm saying. Just thank you so much for having this conference and for opening my mind a little bit more and for uh, being there. I'm going to recommend this to my sister who has managed to get off of alcohol, but it does, her life falls apart when she tries to quit uh, smoking uh, just kind of a small dose of marijuana. And to, to have the support for people that that don't want to take, you know, the little yellow pill, uh, but want to have a healthier life. Like the guy that just spoke, you know, as we age, things happen to our bodies that that I wasn't predicting this stuff, the pain that I'm in and all of that. And and I, you know, I don't want to get I pain meds. Joys are, are also like one of my favorite things. And I think that there are other options. And I I'm just I so appreciate you guys. It's kind of like I'd never heard of this before. I never knew this was a thing. I'm just grateful. I can't. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Sorry, Michelle. I'm going to have to interject for a second just for a tech issue here. Um, apparently, there's been a few people that have been removed from the meeting. Um, so if you're a co-host, please be uh, really careful with what buttons you're pushing, because we're going to have to uh, reset the whole conference to allow these people to come back in now. Um, so just just be mindful of not uh, not pressing any buttons when you're a co-host. Thank you. I'm unmuting people. So let's um, let's unmute Tracy. Hopefully you're not going to go away. Hey, Michelle, thank you. Um, and thank you, Prism and Sean and uh, everybody who's done this. Um, it's really been informative. I deal with chronic illness. Um, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis in like 2006. And uh, so I have like chronic pain issues, numbness and burning in the feet. It's a central nervous system issue. Um, and, uh, you know, so I am interested in this, but I'm, I'm also I know and I'm an addict. And I know if I go to McDonald's, I can't just have one cheeseburger. I want four, you know, my body says it's hungry. And I'm like, I'll give you as much food as you want. You know, my brain is like, let's go, you know, and that's just how I am with everything. And um, I, I don't have one computer. I have four computers. I just, that's just, I know my thinking and my concern. And a lot of people have answered this question already, but my concern was what's to keep me from just going off the rails with this too, 
you know, if it makes me feel great or, you know, just even normal or baseline, you know? So, um, but yeah, I am interested in it. And um, I am a friend of uh, Prism's there and I look forward to talking to Prism offline. Uh, but I just want to uh, mostly just thank you guys for, for all the great information and, and doing this today. So thank you. Yay, thank you so much, Tracy. I, I don't know, does anybody um, want to chime in with that or can we go on to the next uh, question comment? I think we will. Hey, uh, Hope, I think you have, I want to share some of your experience. I'm going to ask you to unmute. Thank you so much, everybody, for being here. It was wonderful to, I am a person in recovery. My name is Hope. I'm also an adoptee. And uh, people like me that have suffered the kind of trauma that is uh, being in an orphanage, being abandoned and being, you know, removed from the from, from the person that, that gave birth to you instantly and so on, we carried a lot of trauma that is preverbal. And what I can share from my experience is that recovery gave me enormous gifts. All the 12 steps gave me enormous support in, in, in uncovering a lot of behaviors and a lot of survival uh, mechanisms that I had that were not helping me and that were harming other people in, in, in my family. And, uh, and, and there was still the suicidality, for instance, somebody spoke about suicide. That was not not removed like it was still I, I was still miserable and and, uh, and and people would tell me that's a defect of character you 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 have to work harder and and you know I kept doing uh, four steps and I kept following what my sponsor would say and so on and it didn't really really um, make any breakthroughs or significant breakthroughs interestingly I, I am a psychologist that's what I studied um, that's what I do for a living I'm a therapist and um, and and I was fascinated uh, by psychedelics and their story from the very beginning but like many people share in this in this meeting I was terrified I knew that my brain was not the everybody's brain I knew that I had issues that were at later it was discovered was ADD because if in, in female assigned people that are assigned female at birth, ADHD and autism, sometimes they don't get diagnosed, they get missed. And I discovered that I had that later and, and I was on meds most of my life. I am currently on absolutely no meds. I am completely, completely free of absolutely every um uh, medicine. This was a process that was uh, very conscious and very carefully supported by doctors. And uh, my only medicine is the psilocybin mushrooms. And I have, uh, I use it very, very systemically and, and with respect and with love and, and all the reverence in the world with people that I trust. And it's usually something that I have done. Um, it's My experience is very, very similar to the share that was about MDMA. I have done it about like four or five times. The first times were unbelievably full of grief and, and and they crush me with pain and so on, but I emerge completely different. I emerge like so much happier and serene and and now I am still discovering things thanks to these medicines. And the most important piece is that there was no way that I could make connections that refer to my being on my back as an infant, being abandoned, not receiving any help, not receiving any any food, uh, any care, any love for 
a long, long time because months for an infant is a long, long time, even though I am 62 years old and in my whole biography, that's a very short time. I had the complex PTSD. I was adopted into a family of alcoholism and I was a victim of violence. All of that is healing. And I did um, experience with other medicines in Mexico and they were helpful, but I believe that each one has a, has a different medicine that is the right one for you. Like it was said, it's nobody can tell you, it's you have to, to, to discover with the utmost respect. And in terms of addiction, what I can share and what is, is um, mostly believe is that if you set the right intention, you are careful and you are not doing this for pleasure, the risk of your relapsing, the risk of this becoming another addiction are really negligible because these substances as opposed to the substances that are psychopharmaca and that the, the substances that we, we, we used to use for recreation, like, you know, like I did, and alcohol and for me, it was mostly pills and uh, alcohol is, is the more solid recovery program. So, uh, and the only secular that I, I really, really know. So, um, it's, uh, it's, it's not how they work. It's not how the chemical uh, reaction in the body functions. And so in that respect, if they are done safely, they are safe. That doesn't mean that they are entirely risk-free. It depends very much on what is your previous psychological makeup. And, and are, if you are a person that, ha that suffers from dissociation, for instance, a MAPS, uh, M-A-P-S, the MAPS, um, organization that was mentioned already in this in this chat will not touch you they will not help you however if you go to the jungle and you go to peru or costa rica or one of those they will probably give you the medicine anyway and they will help you return it's not risk-free but these medicines are not addictive and there are a lot of papers on, on pubmed and all those you know peer-reviewed um uh, systems that you know, have PDFs about, about these medicines that have a lot of very serious research by done by, by people that really can reassure us that this is not addictive. And that was what I wanted to share with you. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much, Hope. I, I uh, really appreciate it. And, and so um, I, I believe that we're going over. I'm having technical difficulties with... Um, uh, chat right now, but I believe that we're going over. I think that um, uh, uh, I believe Kevin um, asked to to leave. I just um, I'm sure Bridget's going to chime back in and, and thank everybody. Um, we're going to get to more more of the questions or more of the comments as well. But um, um, if you need to leave, we understand. I I don't know that this is going to be taken over. So I, Bridget, if you uh, can get word to me that way, that would be awesome. But um, um, I think that um, right now we'll, again, thank you panelists, thank you everybody um, who, who um, have been part of this. Um, we'll continue on with Cynthia. Cynthia, I'm going to ask you. Can I just chime in just, just, Yes, please. I'm sorry. I, I also have to run. I'm sorry, Cynthia. I just wanted to quickly say that um, Sheila had um, accidentally gotten removed from the meeting, but she wanted to, to extend her thank you to everyone. She said she considers it a real honor that she was invited to join the space for the those in recovery. And she knows that it's a very sacred space. Mm -hmm. And I want to thank Kevin and Sean and Prism too. Thank you for letting me be of service as well. 
Hi, I have a question, and it's about it's about treatment resistant depression or treatment resistant PTSD. The, the use of particularly of microdosing um, is something that I'm exploring at the moment with my brother. Interesting history: two of us, both of us, thirty plus years in clean and sober. But unlike me, I I, I had great success using various therapy and and um, talking therapies, basically, um, to to deal with a lot of my childhood issues. His he appears to have no success whatsoever. And, uh, you know, and he's tried all the honors, he's tried SSRIs, he's tried AMDR, he tried the things that are available, if you like, through them. And uh, most of the therapists just seem to give up on him and he can't get the route. And he has very particular traumas that he can't seem to deal with. And I, whereas I'm, I'm terrified. I never had an acid trip that wasn't a bad one. I never smoked a joint that I didn't get paranoid. So I'm completely, I, I, you know, I, 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 plus I just, I don't feel I need it. But for him, I guess he's exploring it. And what I'm, what I'm wondering is what other means did people try? At what point do you give up on them? Um, I mean, he's still trying to pursue kind of after 30 goddamn years, um, clean and sober, still trying to get to the root of his stuff, which has major effects on his life. At what time, at what point do you give up? What did you try? And in what way is this completely different from other, other sorts of therapies? Um, sorry for interrupting now. They're going to be shutting down the meeting in like one minute. So please come back in and we will continue. Thank you. Thanks.